This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, legendary Amiri Baraka. This is an excerpt from a poem called Why Is We Americans? But reality is an excerpt on television. Why is we Americans? Why is we Americans? Budida, 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 Budida. What I want is me, for real. I want me and myself and what that is is what I be and what I see and feel and who is me and the what it is and who it is and when it me is what it be. I'm going to be here if I want, like I said, self-determination. But I ain't come from a foolish tribe. We wants the mule, the land. You can make it 300 years of blue chip stock in the entire operation. We want to be paid in a central bank. The average worker, farmer wage for all those years we gave it free. Plus, we want damages for all the killings and the fraud, the lynchings, the missing justice, the lies and frame-ups, the unwarranted jailings, the tar and feathering, the character and race assassinations, historical slander, ugly caricatures. For every Sambo, step and fetch it, flick, we want to be paid. For every hurtful thing you did or said, for all the land you took, for all the rapes, all the Rosewoods and Black Wall Street you destroyed, all the miseducation, jobs lost, segregated shacks we lived in, the disease that ate and killed us, for all the mad police that drilled us, for all the music and dances you stole, the style the language, the hip clothes you cop, the careers you stop, all these are suits. Specific litigation as represent we, be like we for reparations for damages paid to the Afro-American nation. Budida, Budida, Budida. We want education. For all of us and anyone else in the black pelt hurt by slavery, for all the native peoples, even them poor white people you show all the time, it's funny, all them Abners and Daisy Mays, them Beverly Hillbillies who never got to know Beverly Hills, who never got to Harvard on their grandfather's wills. We want reparations for them right on, for the Mexicans whose land you stole, for all of North Mexico, you call it Texas, Arizona, California, New Mexico, Colorado, all that, all that, all that, all that. Be dee da all that you got to give up. Autonomy and reparation to the Chicanos and the Native Americans whose soul you ripped out with their land, give self-determination, regional autonomy. That's what Maui is asking, and they're going to do the same when they demand it like us again in their own exploited name. Yeah, the education, that's right. 200 years. We want a central stash, a central bank with democratically elected trustees and a board elected by us all to map out from the referendum we set up what we want to spend it on to build that Malcolm sense self-determination as self-reliance and self-respect and self-defense, the will of what the good Dr. Du Bois beat on, true self-consciousness, simply the psychology of freedom, Budida, 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 that ba 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 booty booty boo boo boo. Then we can talk about being American. Then then we can then 
then we can listen. Then we can listen without the undercurrent of desire to first set your ass on fire. We will only talk of voluntary unity of autonomy as vective arms of self-determination if there is democracy in you. That is where it will be shown. This is the only way we as Americans, this is the only truth that can be told. Otherwise, there is no future between us but war and we as rather lovers and singers and dancers and poets and drummers and actors and runners and elegant heartbeats of the sun's flame. But we is also at the end of our silence and sit down. We is at the end of being under your ignorant smell, your intentional hell, either give us our lives or plan to forfeit your own. Mm. Ooh. Oh. Bodhida. Bodhida. Welcome. Good morning. Unmute. Unmute, Dr. Carr. Hello. 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 Ah, yeah. Ooh. Mm. All right. You're humming along just like you did. Mm -hmm. you, you were such a beautiful singer voice. I wish you, you, you exhibited more. You can't help to do that, but right? That's what Baraka does to us. Not in this space. This is no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not as, um, uh, as confident. Oh, it's as, not confidence. Everybody sings, but you got a beautiful voice. You should thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, no, no. But, um, yeah. Thank you for this. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good everything. Good everything. I'm just, I'm now processed. Now you got me thinking. I'm sitting here. Oh, and the and through 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 the music, um, the spirit the spirit gets awakened, and I'm thinking about you know Coochie Pink and Booty Hole Brown, and that that uh, and and I'm thinking about Badida and how how that has so much more resonance today than this. No question. <sighs> well, but Walker has us thinking. It's 89th birthday today, mm -hmm. so uh, Mary Baraka. Woman, Leroy Jones, with that, with that, uh, he often did that, as we know. But that, that little thread, that, that body die, of course, is uh, John Coltrane, Equinox. Yeah. So he, he and Monk, I think those were two of his favorites. He, he would lace them in there. <laughs> but the power of of song beat to deliver messages is has been like I, I feel like that was how the uh, the Haitian Revolution happened, right? Drum beats and. And and song uh, carry messages, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, and now the messages we carry are <laughs> ridiculous. It's intentional because yeah. the delivery system for us, of course, our cultural meaning making is is very powerful. So when you front load it with uh, foolishness, then it has devastating effect. Give me my theme music. So, oh, so we, we were having this conversation on Foolishness Friday yesterday, and um, you know, the 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 I won't even say her name in this space because I feel like it's cussing. I'm not gonna cuss in this space. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's there's this rapper who's saying some things, and you oh, know, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's a, that's where you know that's where I, the the, Unfortunately, the fact that I know it right, it, and that was my point, you know. And I, when I was like, I don't even know this person, and then when they said. Coochie Pink, Booty Hole Brown. I was like, I know that song. And then I was mad at myself for knowing it, right? And then we were having this conversation about plants. Like, you know, the the plant for little Kim was Nikki, and then Cardi came to supplant Nikki, and then this, the next generation. And it's like, who's planting? You know, as we talk about seeding what we want to grow, they're actually seeding among us. And I was like, do the plants know that they're plants? Or do they just think they are talented and, and lucky? 
or that, you know, that they're, they're blessed, you know, do they know that they're planted to do a thing? And, and if they don't know, what's their responsibility? Or they figured out how to, in fact, there's a new book. I was just, oh, I'm thinking about using it for my hip hop class and I don't see it right here, but it's about the business of hip hop. And of course there are a lot of books on, on that subject, but uh, this was one of the latest ones that talks about how all this stuff is curated. And I mean, shout out to Nicki Minaj and to Lil Nas X for understanding that this has nothing to do with talent. No matter how much confidence people may have in their own talent, this is about, can you ride the wave? Can you surf the algorithm? I mean, who's going to be the next NBA young boy? Who's going to be the next blue face? Who's going to be, you know, and meanwhile, the people get dumber and dumber and dumber, but you can stack that coin. After all, it's in our aspiration to be a, to be an N-word in Paris and ball so hard. MF's got to find me. But first they got to find me. What's 50 grand to an MF like me? Would you please remind me? In other words, I'm trying to make, or, you know, in the words of Kanye, let's get lost tonight. You can be my black Kate Moss tonight. Praise secretary, I'm the boss tonight. In other words, this, the whole aspiration is oblivion. They don't know it as that. They know it as material comfort and creature comfort. And when you ask how much is enough, they say more, more is enough. This is the cancer of capitalism, which some people think can be reformed. Ha, badida. Ha, badida, equina, which is actually the point. It always comes back to the balance. That is really the comedic concept of my eye. Every action has a reaction, and ultimately, it's always going to retreat to the mean, which is why that conversation you were having with the sister on how civil wars start, I think, was fascinating because you don't get it, do you? This bill was run up, which means it must come due. There's nothing you can do. You got to pay this bill. I, I promise you, uh, you know, I don't come into these, these uh, discussions with people. I, I saw it Ted talk and I said, Oh, I want to have a conversation with someone who has studied civil wars for 30 years, 400 wars. And she, you know, is coming with a set of knowledge and I want to unpack because I've concluded that the war never ended. So I want to have this conversation. I don't do any pre-interviews. I'm not going to give you any insight into like I'm expecting you to kind of know. So even before we went on the air, I said, I want to have a conversation today, not talking points. This is not going to be a remix of your TED talk, we, you know, or your book. I want to have a conversation about where we are. And she said, I'm ready. So we get in and I'm like, you probably aren't ready. And I realized somewhere through she was not ready for that conversation. No. And I was I was on the verge of feeling bad. But then I'm like, your whole mission is mm -hmm. around you know, pre presenting this narrative in many different forms, but it's a false narrative when we don't acknowledge that we're still in war. And if we're still in war, what's your responsibility? Because you're on the other side. And I said to her, your whiteness and your weddedness to this whiteness is in opposition to my very life. It, it, it threatens my very life. Right. And as long as you hold on to that, we're going to always be at war, right? We're going to always be at war because mm. I can't exist in a world where I'm always diminished because you're holding on to something that doesn't really exist. So we're going to have to reconcile with that. And, she, you know, it was like, I could see the, and, and but, at the same time, so my people came here from other places and I fought my way through and do, I can give up my whiteness, but do I have to give up my dreams and aspirations? I mean, can I get my foot off your neck? I didn't put my foot on your neck. I mean, it, it, is this a foot even? I mean, in this social structure, I mean, what do we say? What do we mean? I mean, can't we just be individuals? I mean, we've got work to do. What? The bill, yo, the bill was run up. Do you understand the bill was run up? Why is we Americans? That's the question Amir Baraka is asking. Why? Why? Tell who, me why. 
and and who is me? Who is well, me? I mean, the me, the me is interesting. Uh, Ira Berlin, uh, maybe about ten years ago, wrote a little small book. Actually, gives a series of lectures. He's he's an ancestor now, called "The Long Emancipation." And he said the thing about this war, and I know he absolutely did not mean it to this to where I'm going to take it, but that's okay because I couldn't. Hmm, maybe I could care less, but anyway, I don't know. The point is this. He said that when you declare war, like the war that was declared on African people, um, there was never a start in terms of an official war. It's not like a war we're fighting where he said, we declare war. You no, know, you just came in and invaded and over centuries did this. It was asymmetrical, meaning there weren't two armies fighting each other. We were unaware of what Spain, what became Spain, Portugal, France, England were planning as these people came out and traded and then developed a buffer class by having sex with the African women on the on the coast and then penetrating, playing small uh, uh, conflicts into larger ones, supplying one side with arms and then the other side come to the fort and you give them arms. And all the while you're pulling people out because nobody knows what y'all talking about in Lisbon and London. Nobody knows what you're talking about in Paris. Y'all are doing it. And then he said, so it's asymmetrical. And then the other thing he said was, it was never a truce declared. So in other words, we never sat at the table as African people globally and said, okay, there's a truce. Why? Because y'all never had a truce. You know, people say, oh, the British uh, were the leaders of emancipation. No, the British understood that their economic interests no longer required them to have North American colonies like they did. So they shifted it to the continent. And then they used their Navy to try to stop the other European countries from taking us out. This was not an act of humanitarianism. All of this is cold-blooded social structure, modern world system, pragmatic effort. And so, so when we say war as a metaphor, the war presumes that there are two sides equally armed or equipped who are fighting each other. No, 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 no. There's one side, Europe. We are, we, we are literally convened as a figment of the European imagination and as fodder for this capitalist world system. Now, if we want to get out of that, we can, we have to. But we have to ask the first order question, what are the terms? You know, that's why this, this African States framework is so important. We have to separate the social structure from the governance structure. Even though they are commingled and we live in both every day, we have to separate them out conceptually. Otherwise, we will still use social structure language to try to talk about our aspirations. And that's how you end up with minstrelsies. Minstrel. People think a millionaire is going to save us. It's not going to happen. And and it requires our ignorance, you know. I've been I've been deep in Noam Chomsky, uh, yeah. playing a lot of Noam Chomsky on the on the show, and watching a lot of Noam Chomsky videos, and reading a lot of his interviews. And you know, and and as you put this this the 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 puzzle together, and and then step back from it, you realize exactly what you're saying. Because Chomsky talked about Reagan, who has you know who is a hero. Uh, he said he was a, a vicious racist whose domestic policies were a war on black bodies no and a way. continuation of slavery. And then I took it back to, of course, Nixon before Reagan. Reagan just said, hold my beer to Nixon. But Nixon and Ehrlichman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nixon and Ehrlichman, Ehrlichman said, we have two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. And I'm like, how are black people the enemy of, of a whole administration? Wow. So we have to, we have to flood you know, the, the community, black community with heroin. And then we're going to, you know, hippify the anti-war left and give them the marijuana. And then we got to criminalize both. And then that set us on this war on drugs that Reagan then picked up the baton and said, I can go even further. Come on, Nancy, let's go ahead and tell people. And then let's rip out the black community 
three, four generations, and then blame them <laughs> for everything that happens. And listen, I'm not giving anyone a free pass to take drugs and it's not your fault. Yes, we do have some personal responsibility, but if there was an entire war dependent upon your ignorance and your, your, your uh, being out of your mind on these drugs and destruction of your community, you got to fight every day. We have to fight every day and acknowledge that this is what is happening. We can't ignore it. And then we can't blame people for the conditions that they find themselves in as if we we brought the drugs in, as if we were part of the Nixon administration that had a domestic policy that called us the enemy of it. Black people Absolutely. in the anti-war left, people that didn't want war. So I'm just like, at some point, we're going to have to educate ourselves and sit in that for mm -hmm. a minute and then start to build the systems while we at the same time engage in this criminal enterprise. But yes. we can't we can't well, tap out and start and, and, and stop starting from scratch. Stop starting from scratch. Meaning what? I mean, Noam Chomsky, as brilliant as he is, deeply rooted, a brilliant intellectual, of course, cut his academic eye teeth in linguistics and, you know, continues to live. He's out there in Arizona now, who really burst on the political scene as a commentator and analyst in the 60s, as you say, with the Vietnam War, the new Mandarins, all his work there, and uh, which really is the Johnson administration, Kennedy and Johnson. And then, as you say, comes into Nixon and has been pushing this all along ever since. No doubt, un undeniably brilliant. And then you look at somebody like Gil Scott Herring, who, as far as I'm concerned, is in some ways by order of magnitude more brilliant yes. than uh, Noam Chomsky, not to be comparing, but to also say that this man is a black man and he's a person of African descent, which means he's in this mess. And when he says in his... Uh, in his song slash poems, uh, dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash, uh, the ghetto code, when he's critiquing the Nixon administration, and he says, in the 1970s, Halderman, uh, Ehrlichman, Nixon, and Dean, it follows a pattern, if you know what I mean. Halderman, Ehrlichman, Nixon, and Dean, it follows a pattern, if you know what I mean. And then in his song, B Movie, where he goes through all of the administrations, he says, you know, uh, lined up by all the billionaires necessary, he talks about all of them. And then he goes through and he talks about um, uh, um, um, Hague, Alexander the Hague, running the, the inmates running the asylum. He's in B Movie laying all this out. And then he even talks about George Papa Doc Bush. Wait a minute. George Papa Doc Bush. George W. Bush, the son of George H.W. Bush, is a teenager when Gil Scott Heron calls his father Papa Doc. That's not even a baby doc yet. Gil Scott Heron is so brilliant. It's like he's prophetic. He's going to say, and then they're going to bring his son in. And so I'm saying all that to say that, you know, there's a new Max Roach documentary that, that just came out. In fact, it debuted yesterday and people can, can watch it. Uh, it was on PBS, American Masters, Max Roach, the drum also waltzes. And it goes through Max Roach coming through the 40s with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins and all. And then you see Jimmy Heath and Sonny Rollins himself talk about how, you know, these musicians would go on stage and they'd need a little something. Uh, Gerald Horn writes about this brilliantly in his book, Jazz and Justice, about this series, because you see the organ organized crime trying to take advantage of these brothers and sisters, Mary Lou Williams, you know, trying to take advantage of these brothers and sisters, Sarah Vaughn. And then he says, you know, so marijuana was known. They say Louis Armstrong smoked marijuana every day of his life. But then he said, uh, then cocaine came in, but cocaine was like a New Year's Eve drug. It's for rich people. And he said, and then this thing showed up that was dirt cheap, that would get you high immediately, that had no smell to it, and that was heroin. Heroin. 
and it took out a whole generation. All of them, black or white, Stan Getz got strung out on her, but Sonny Rollins got strung out, Max Roach, all these cats, John Coltrane. I mean, you know, Miles Davis. In fact, you know, Miles Davis, when he got clean, he put John Coltrane out the band because the thing hit him. It, it threatened to destroy a generation of our cultural meaning makers in this country. But what happened? Max Roach is in there and he's strung out and then he's in the hospital because he didn't got arrested. His mom comes and he says, you know, I'm sorry. He said, you got these calluses on your knees because you on your you on your uh, your knees scrubbing these floors for these white folks. And she said, no, son, my knees are not callous because I've been scrubbing floors for white people. My knees are callous because I've been on the on the on the ground praying for you to beat this. And that, and he says, you know, he's in the hospital. When he gets the news that Maxine was born, his daughter. And Max Roach kicked it. Sonny Rollins, for a year, did day labor in and around New York City, kicked it, practicing under the bridge in Brooklyn every day on his horn, wouldn't record nothing. He comes back, records saxophone Colossus. And that generation pulled itself back from the brink. And what the documentary shows is, in 1960, it's, it's Max Roach with Abby Lincoln, his wife, with uh, uh, Babatunde Olatunji and Sonny Rollins. They record the Freedom Now Suite. Max Rose said they slaughtered those kids in, in South Africa in Sharpville. We're going to do something about it. And that Freedom Now Suite becomes the opening to this decade of Black power music that comes in. And then, so here we are in 2024. We've forgotten that we beat these people once, but then once you beat them, they don't stop. They come back with another thing and they cut off your memory that you beat them the last time. John Coltrane beat them the last time. Mary Lee Williams beat them. Sonny Rollins, Sonny Rollins still alive. You know, you, you beat them. And then for the rest of his life, Max Roach continues that one of his sons says, you know, what fuel my father was rage. He had to do this. And then Harry Belafonte says, Max Roach was who he was. He wasn't trying to become something. He already was that. Now, what he was trying to do is share it with the rest of us. And what you see walking through that is that we beat these people. You know, we, th this stuff that we're producing now out of the genius of our cultural meaning making, this isn't a critique of the genius. What is a critique of is exactly what you said. We don't have a momentum of memory. So the foolishness bonds to our DNA like that heron bonded to them. So how do we kick it? You don't kick it by playing with it. This got to be cut off. You got to go cold turkey. You got to do what Miles Davis did. Go to his daddy's farm in St. Louis and suburbs and say, look, I'm here. Lock me up upstairs and I just got to beat this. It's got to be like Ray Charles. I got to beat this. It's got to be like Max Roach and Sonny Rollins. I got to beat this because guess what? It took out Charlie Parker, the genius who gave us everything we had. They Charlie Parker was dead. It killed him. We can't let that happen. Now, here we are looking at our young people, looking at our old people, and what are we celebrating? We put the drugs in the song. Let the drugs is in the song, yo. So, <laughs> I, I was telling you I'm obsessed with Top Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lamont King introduced it. I was like, I'm not watching another drug thing. Now it's in London. Now you got me in London. And first of all, what I was uh, it, just, I'm, I'm obsessed with, first of all, the, the storytelling is amazing. The, mm. the writing is brilliant and there's no N-words. They don't call each other. They still shoot each other in the face and kill each other. But they don't call each, they call each other bruv and fam as they kill each other. 
But what I was, you know, what I'm obsessed with right now is how that is the thing that we present, but we don't talk about the poison and how it destroys the community. We we focus on these stories, these human interest stories of people rising up and making money and, and you know, trying to have lives. But what is it doing to the culture? What is it doing to the culture? And and it's in The Wire. It's in Godfather of Harlem. It's in Snowfall. It's in, like, and we're inundated. And then it's in the music. So when you're a little kid in any of these neighborhoods anywhere in the world, which I didn't know how in how we're so tied globally because that's the same narrative because it, it flows through the music, right? It's in the beat. It's in the beat. And so little kids in London and little kids in Africa and little kids all over the globe aspire to that, not to the greatness of what we are because this is the momentum of memory carried through the music, through something we don't even control. So I'm... I'm, I'm well, something we produce and, and, they, and, they, and they control what we hear. We don't control turn it. the knobs down. Right. Even with even with this, you know, streaming, we don't control it. We don't control it. I was talking with Laurie about it because I'm like, this has to be the conversation we're having. How do we build? How do we build? How do we, uh, you know, uh, reverse engineer when this is so prevalent? And what do you tell a child who you make minimum wage or carry this food, as they call it, or carry these drugs or sell these drugs to your people? And then we blame them, you know, we're disgusted by them. And then you know, and Biggie says, don't get high on your own supply. So we have some crack rules. We got, it, it, it has to be this conversation on, on, under a drum beat, you know, like. I you mean, yeah, know. I mean, that's, and like you say, the 10 crack commandments is brilliant. It is a brilliant poison. And the dope that Biggie was hand to hand herb hustling in Brooklyn turned into sonic dope. Shout out to Sean Combs. And wow, the, you know, the sonic dope did it. And so when he says, you know, the 10 crack commandments, right, there's there's a there's a way of knowing in there that is absolutely powerful, but it is wedded and bonded to the thing that is killing us. It is a suicide note. <laughs> Thinking about a Mary Baraka preface to a 20 volume suicide note, as uh, Mary Baraka said, you know, peeking into his daughter's bedroom and seeing her praying into her own empty hands in that preface to a 20 volume suicide note. A lot of this is suicide notes. It's the 10 crack commandments, you know, and, you know, follow, follow these rules. You'll have mad bread to break up. And then he starts talking about, you know, if you don't follow these rules, they're going to bust in your house and uh, make your body shake up. And then, you know, and then while, while the drug dealer that killed you is with your uh, girlfriend and she, you know, he going to make her do all these insane, uh, unmentionable things. And at the end, she's going to cook him a steak and uh, she can hook a steak up. In other words, the brilliant rhyming to pathology. Shout out to Diddy. And somehow we think that these people can somehow be redeemed in their art without confronting the fact of what they um, what they put out there. And this isn't, again, to blame them either. Think about, again, the great Gil Scott Heron, somebody who remains understudied in our ways of knowing it as a cultural meaning maker. You know, when he um, when he recorded the inner city blues and he says, you know, would you tell this woman who was looking at hungry babies and some decisions had to be made? Would you tell her it's better to go to your grave as a minimum wage slave? No, I don't think so. Make you want to holler. And then he brings in Marvin Gaye at the end. Crime is increasing. Trigger happy policing. Panic is panic is spreading. God knows where we're heading. Oh, it make you wanna holler sometimes. 
And he puns in, of course, the ballad of Mark Essex, military veteran who we've talked about before. We did a whole uh, session on Mark Essex and using Gil Scott Heron's inner city blues. My man, Randy Weston, the great ancestor was in the Max Roach documentary talking about the influence of Africa and the global influence in that music. I think about that because, you know, I, I gave a talk. This is the year before Randy Weston made transition. We were in um, New Orleans for the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations. And so being in New Orleans, I thought it was only appropriate that we talk about Mark Essex, who took to the top of that rooftop in the at the Howard Johnson's in New Orleans. And as Gil Scott Heron says in uh, Make Me Want to Holler, Inner City Blues, um, he says, um, do you ever wonder what made Mark Essex choose to fight the inner city blues? Yeah, Essex went on the rooftop guerrilla style and watched while all the crackers went wild. Of course, Mark Essex, former military man, Marine, got on that roof and started sniping. And he said they brought in the elephant gun to block out the sun. Yeah, made the devil want to holler. In other words, redistribute the pain, as Louis Farrakhan and Martin Luther King uh, said. Redistribute the pain. Not in the way that the king would have said it, but at the end, at the end of the day, what drove him? You know, this is what Gil Scott Heron is asking. Do you ever wonder what made Mark Essex choose to fight the inner city blues? But it's the inner city blues that drives us into these, into these pathologies. This is the social structure we live in, and uh, you know, it's very important for us to think about that in the context of what we're discussing today. I mean, we start talking about self determination. You and Larry talking about self determination is very important. How do we? stand in our own thing. That's what Amir Baraka is saying and asking and why as we Americans, we have to be self-determined. He starts with self-determination. In fact, um, you know, there's a bookshelf of books by Baraka, about Baraka, um, a couple of his later, uh, one of the excellent ones, his friend and brother, comrade uh, Hakim Abudi uh, put together, which has a number of his writings. This is later in his um, in his arc, over 40 books of essays, poems, dramatic work, music history critique. There's so many. This is a great little book called Razor. Actually, it's not a little book. This book is uh, 460 some pages. Razor, Revolutionary Art for Cultural Revolution, Amir Baraka, Third World Press, Black Press, TWP. Very important. You know, it's a good book to help people understand it. If you want to understand, of course. And then there's a companion piece that uh, brilliant Flame, Amir Baraka, Poetry Plays and Politics for the People that came out after he made transition in 2014. Again, Third World Press. This is the book, uh, Brilliant Flame, Amir Baraka. There he is looking like he looked when most deaf introduced him there in season one of Deaf Poetry Jam. But Baraka is grappling with this. And Baraka was a brilliant, is a brilliant theoretician. He wasn't the only theoretician of the so-called Black Arts Movement, Larry Neal, Mari Evans, Sonia Sanchez, who still walks the earth. So many, many, many others we could talk about. Uh, but he was a perpetual student, perpetually growing. And self-determination as a political act, not just as individual, but collectively, group self-determination is at the center of what we have to aspire to. We can't continue to be subservient, whether it be our labor, our stolen labor, whether it be our fidelity and fealty and commitment to these imaginary formations that have real world impact like nation states, it's very important to understand that. And so we talk about today's self-determination in the silences. Where can we begin to even think about self-determination? It's in the silences. And what are those silences? Then when you're talking to her, 
And she's saying, you know, white people aren't aware that uh, we're still fighting the civil war. Black people, I think, are aware. More black people are aware. Well, that's because we are the being assaulted perpetually in this asymmetrical war where a truce wasn't declared. And it's also because you went to, y'all both went to Catholic school and in both them schools that you got the curriculum that reinforces the silences. But that's where the self-determination is in the silences on this Indigenous Peoples Day weekend, once known as Columbus Day. Now you're going to fight the Italians? You're going to fight them over their, their hero, their mythical hero, Cristofolo Colombo? Or fight the Spanish over their mythical hero, Cristobal Colon? Or fight the English on their imaginary hero who was need, who was not English, Christopher Columbus, an anglicized version of Cristobal Colon or Cristofolo Colombo, who ain't never set foot nowhere in England? No, because Columbus sits at the center of the violence. It is the violence against the indigenous people of this hemisphere that um, that Amir Baraka talks about. And when you, you know, you talk about American exceptionalism, people say they're critiquing it, but they're really not critiquing it. How do we know? Because what you have done when you start talking about this country owes us, the minute you say that, you have reinforced the silences. Why? The first crime was against the human beings who were over here. We helped build this country. When you say that, we helped build this country. Them five words, it's poison. What the hell? hell are you talking about we help build this country so we this country we help build this country so now you want the spoils of a criminal enterprise you know there were people here before you came right well yeah and they should get some to get some what it's they, this where they were now you want to get jumped in the gang that 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 that, 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 that did that to them and you said well no i want everybody to be okay okay let's let's do that then let's talk about everybody because the self-determination among the indigenous people of the world and of this hemisphere because the indigenous people of africa are the africans the indigenous people of this hemisphere are all the various groups and nations who were here but guess what if you want to talk about them you're going to have to go into the silences to find the self-determination why is we americans this time almost exactly a year ago Remember, we had our session and we were talking about the documentary, Why Is We Americans? Uh, Ras Baraka, who uh, they're having a ritual today in Newark uh, to, to, to kind of commemorate Amiri Baraka's birthday. But they're not doing just a kind of retrospective on Amiri Baraka. Everybody presenting is going to be talking about what's going on now, gun violence and drugs and improving the education system and dealing with people who need employment at better wages. And, and the mayor is going to close it out. Now, was... Amir Baraka's aspiration for his son to be the mayor of Newark? Yeah, in part, if not his son, somebody, because remember they helped get Kenneth Gibson uh, elected, the first black mayor of Newark. But it isn't about the politics of representation in sense of demographic. Now we got a black mayor. So, so, I mean, the governor of California said he was going to appoint a black woman in the Senate seat next time it came open. And when Diane Feinstein died, he put a black woman in, but it wasn't a black woman that black people said, including the Crenshaw Black Caucus, a lot of people on the ground, we want Barbara Lee. Now I'm gonna put this sister in right. Cause I said, I didn't want anybody who's running to be in the seat. I don't wanna give them an advantage. And then you say, I'm gonna put her in, but I'm not gonna impose any uh, restrictions. So if she wants to run, you can wait, what, what are you doing, Gavin? Well, I'm getting ready to run for president. Either if Joe Biden drops out or if something happens, he can't do it or in 2028, but I'm playing a calculated game. Okay, governor, I ain't mad at you. Why? Cause it's your social structure and you love it. I don't. Why is we Americans? You got to explain this to me, man. 
or not, you don't really have to explain anything because once we have our self-determination, a funny thing happens when you're self-determining. When you are self-determining, when you have your own presses like Third World Press or Africa World Press or Black Classic Press and Karen Hunter Publishing, when you have your own space, people start talking to you different. Now it ain't Kiki no more. It was Kiki as long as you was working for them. And then, you know, the first sign that you, you know, spent a nickel worse than you should have spent it, or you can't track the $3 that you spent yesterday, or you out here living your best life. And they say, hold on, chief, we gave you hundred dollars to do this. And you ain't do all this. Shout out to Ibram Kendi. What happens is then they say, cut your knees off. And next thing you know, the whole world turns on you. I'm sitting back looking like, wow, one minute. You were the savior. Shit, man, and kill Breonna Taylor. Okay, Ahmaud Arbery, yeah. Oh, you put your knee on Big George Floyd. Wait, everybody is in the street. Ho, ho, let's make it rain. Let's pay people for diversity speeches. Let's, uh, can I buy 100,000 copies of uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist? I'm not going to read them, but if I buy them, can I get some, are there some black bookstores or blackish bookstores? We can, uh, okay, man, give this man a million. Give him two million. Give him to him. Jack Dorsey, give him 10 million. Okay, fine, make it rain, make it rain, make it rain. Oh, uh, close them statues off. We've been hurry y'all racist. Okay, oh, okay, 2021. Okay, all right. Not as much, but 2022, uh, uh, 2023, we're past it. Hey, man. Hey, where that $55 million? Okay, let's go. And then <laughs> there was no award. It was no truce declared. The Boston Globe, the New York Times, the Atlantic, the New Yorker. I just read Jay Caspian King writing in the New Yorker about Ibram Kendi and what's the boy's name who uh, they pressed up after he failed once and then told lies all about his career. And then Roy Wood Jr. is like, that. I'm Lee. I'm not even messing with y'all. Was it Carlos, Carlos Watson? No, 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 no. Oh, no, Carlos. That, that, Carlos no, no, you, 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 you got jokes. Go ahead, go ahead. I do, I do. I do. Naming them all. I know yeah. you do. That's what I'm saying. It's the Right. In a war, it's the same thing. You know the script. They love you, and then they cut you off. Your safety valve, Hassan. Your safety valve. The God is John Stewart for all the right reasons. But guess what? John Stewart like John Brown. When white people do something we've been doing it all along, they get elevated above everybody who's been doing it all along. This was the conversation we were having last week at the Writers' Conference on the campus of Howard University when a brother asked, you know, can you imagine a world without whiteness? And, he, and then the young brother came up, medical student, and asked about John Brown. I said, in the social structure, John Brown is an outsized figure. In the governance structure, he's just somebody else who's a freedom fighter who gave up his whiteness. And we said, okay, cool. I'm glad you did that. But we all been fighting all along. Osborne Anderson, Dangerfield Newby, uh, Martin and Catherine Delaney, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman. So come on, join us. No problem. But what we're not going to do is make you into some saint. Your whiteness does not allow you an elevated form of humanity in trying to correct the mess that people who look like you made. So I understand after John Stewart, you know, you get, you know, Trevor Noah after man, okay, and here come Hassan. They go, wait, wait, no, Roy, but Roy Wood is smarter and funnier than all of them. And he and he he did he painted throughout what was like self-determination. Yeah. First of all, um, you know, he his ratings were better than Hassan Minaj. Yes, ma'am. Only uh, I think uh what's the guy with the glasses that was in the Senate? Uh Al Franken had better mm-hmm. ratings. And he's been there holding up your, your ish, making it good and funny when Trevor, Trevor Noah was there and before. And then you're going to go out for another round just because you, what what are you looking for? So I, I was talking about this too, because Roy, you know, we love I know him. that's your man. No question. I, I love this man. I love this man. <laughs> but he, he doesn't need your job. 
It's like people think people on Saturday Night Live, they don't make money on Saturday Night Live. That's a stepping stone. And for Roy Wood, Roy makes more money on the road than he would make probably in salary. And then he was like, I did a dollar cost analysis and yeah, I'm more valuable. That's what it looks like when you know your value. Right. And I love that. So I just wanted to say, we all have value wherever we are. That's what it looks like when you're not afraid to say, I'm valuable. I don't need your funky check. Go ahead with that. I'll see you around. Matter of fact, Oh, I got my own platform. I can do whatever I want. Come on home. Anyway, yes. Thank Not you. Anyway, that's what we're talking about today. It's in those silences. It's when we have our pause and reflect. It's when we regain our momentum of memory and understand we have built and sustained institutions. And in those moments, as you say, Brother Roy counted up the cost. He said, no, I can. I don't need to do this. Would I like the enhanced platform that would allow me to reach more people more quickly? Sure. But see, the thing about self-determination is when you are part of a group that has been assaulted perpetually, the system that assaulted you is not going to stop assaulting you until you stop it. Some of it involves direct confrontation, but the most important thing is develop to is to develop an independent base. This is what allowed us to fight out our way out of enslavement. You mentioned the Haitian Revolution, the way of knowing that was developed on that island among the Fon and the Dahomey and the Akan and the Yoruba and all the Kikongo and all those people who are blended in on that third of the island that is called Haiti. In fact, on the whole island. Vaudon, that is the cultural base of the governance formation that foments the resistance to the social structure at the time that we call the Haitian Revolution. It isn't a political revolution or a military revolution first, it's a cultural revolution. And so when Cecile Fatima and um, Bookman Duddy, thinking about Wade Noble's book, The Island of Memes, which follows in the wake of Jacob Carruthers' incredible book, The Irritated Genie, when they call for the spirits, the law, when they call for what the Yoruba would call the Orisha, and at the height of that ritual in the 17th century with Cecile Fatima, the Mambo, the Voodoo priestess leading that ritual. And then Bukman Duddy steps in and says, cast down the image of the white man's God who has brought down your tears for so long and listen to liberty that lives in all our hearts. He is evoking and tapping into a way of knowing that overflows European Christianity. There is no bridge to be built between what the Europeans have done to them, what the French have done to them, and what they're going to do for themselves. There is no common frame of reference to disguise. There is no silence. You're not going to silence Africana ways of knowing here by saying they are after black Jacobins, as CLR James might say, or they are aspirants to democracy. No, 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 no. Take your democracy word just for a second and throw that ish in the trash. Take your Jacobins, take your French Revolution and set that aside. And as Toussaint Louverture, mistakenly thinking he can negotiate with Napoleon, goes to France and is in prison where he dies, Jean-Jacques Dessalines said, bring me the flag, the Haitian flag, which looks like the French flag. We're going to cut the white out the middle of it, sew the blue and the red together, Catherine Elon, and we will never mistake this flag for the French flag again. And since then, Haiti's been punished. But guess what? You can punish the Haitians forever. And they ain't never going to bow their head. Why? Because the Haitians know something that more of us should know, which is what? You can't be free by trying to be a figment of the white imagination. I'll eat these dirt cookies before I go down like that. 
And yes, now they've recruited the Kenyans to, to, to join an international multilateral force to go in and help the, the, the Haitians with the gangs. You know what would help the Haitians with the gangs? If we would stand up to the United States and France at the United Nations, forget the leaders, if the people, because the people are on the ground fighting in Haiti. The gang problem ain't just what's going on in Haiti. The gang problem is what's going on in Washington and Paris with the drug deal and the drug chains. So, you know, when we talk about self-determination and silences here on Indigenous Peoples Day weekend, the fact that we even call it Indigenous Peoples Day is because people decided not to protest Columbus Day only, but to develop out of the momentum of their memory rituals based on who we are to each other. That's the governance formation. And we had to ask ourselves, you know, it is in the social structure that we live in, the global social structure and its local manifestations, and it's all connected. That's why the dope in the form of the types of musics that are peddled go global, you know, and we have pushed back. There have been those who've lived at the intersection, whether it be Bob Marley or Fela Kuti, whether it be James Brown, you know, or uh, those who even in the previous generation traveled around the world. There have been moments when we're able to break and connect with each other. You see it in Ghana, the, the documentary Soul to Soul with Roberta Flack and Isaac Hayes and Carlos Santana and so many others in Ghana. And then you see it in Congo. If you look at the documentary, uh, well, they called it Zaire at the time when we were kings with Celia Cruz and James Brown and Bill Withers and the Spinners and all, you know, you see us with the festival movement in the 1970s trying to connect like that. The record companies are involved, they're profiting, but it's a moment when self-determination has forced the social structure to back up off. You can't, you know, Marvin Gaye is saying, it's cool when I'm singing all these songs, but now I'm going to do what's going on. We talked about that too. Curtis Mayfield, I'm coming. You have to now allow them to do that. Why? Because they started with self-determination of a sorts, whether it be Motown or Stax or places like that. And then from there, now they've got some momentum. If you want to profit, you're going to have to have some place to be able to negotiate with these people. See, it's one thing when Johnny Cash decides he's going to lean into his Christianity and goes on tour with Billy Graham or shows up at Folsom Prison and does it. And then you, you idolize that as rebelliousness. But when we do it, you're trying to figure out a way to profit from it and as soon as possible, shut it down. Of course, hip hop comes along and, and, and uses the momentum of memory in the form of going and referencing all that music that came before them. I mean, in the Max Rose documentary, they talk about Freddie Braithwaite. He, in fact, he's one of the narrators. We know Freddie Braithwaite, of course, uh, by his moniker, Fab Five Freddie. He, you know, this, this, this is, this is uh, Max Roach, his uncle. He's, he's Max Roach's godson. And so he said, yeah, Abby Lincoln would come over to the house and I see her with this afro. I'm like, why is her hair like that? And then I realized she's on the cusp, Aminata Mosika, which was her African name, of this revolution. And then you see Max Roach lean into the hip hop generation. They, they play a clip of him playing while, you know, um, Fab Five Freddy and them, they had his show in New York and Max Roach is on the drums and they, you know, he's spitting over the drums. The, 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 the hip hop artist is a beautiful thing. Greg Tate, the late Greg Tate was in the uh, thing. He said, I was there that night when they did that. Max Roach was always propelling forward, but he propelled forward out of a cultural base. Now, the A&R people and the A&R. Oh, what's that guy? He just, oh, here it is. Son of the City. This just came out. Son of the City, Dante Ross, who is one of the great producers. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's a industry executive, white dude, born and raised in New York. He's given credit for discovering, promoting De La Soul, Queen Latifah, Buster Rhymes, so many others. Young MC. I mean, no, 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 no. Macy Gray, Young Z, Son of the City. I just started reading it. But anyway, 
These are well-meaning people, brilliant human beings. But what they're doing is you are, remember, because this self-determination phase in hip-hop, it extends through the 80s. I'm not talking about creative self-determination. I mean, you know, shout out to Pharrell or Teddy Riley. I mean, no, I'm talking about culturally informed, like the native tongues of Newark. You know, Tribe Called Quest is in the native tongues. Also, Jungle Brothers, Queen Latifah. It's a different thing. Oh, please, please. Oh, absolutely. This is this is, this is is a different thing, bro. So I like people from your, your neck of the woods. Anyway, I just thought about it. All, all of that. I, I just, I wanted to ask this question because it's been, um, when you talk about self-determination, I think about the Fearless Fund, you know, a group of women who started uh, raising money because the venture capital money in, in black community period, 2%, 1% for black women, uh, a handful have gotten over a million, more than a million dollars. And now you got the, that thing that went after affirmative action for the last 20 years and actually got it done. Uh, funded by billionaires who are very clear about this war. Yes. How do we combat that? Because now they're going after, we're self-determining. Now we're going to raise money to fund our own industries and tech, et cetera. And now you have stopped that with a lawsuit, right? You're, you're suing Target for having a program to develop Black leadership in your company because you're saying that's racist. That's right. Right. You're, you're going after now that, so you got the schools, now you're going after industry that has that 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 is uh trying to not just even a playing field, but the the bill is due, right? So right. so this is a way of 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 paying back without giving a reparations check. But now they're going after that, and we don't have an answer to it other than you know, like, do we have an answer to that? Oh, sure. Again, the momentum of memory. How did we fund each other before? How? How did we? We bought each other's wares. This is Jim Crow, of course. Uh, at the church, the mosque, the Nation of Islam, we funded each other. Not on the scale we're talking about with, with the Freedom Fund, but here's the thing about it. It's Freedom Fund, right? No, it's Fearless. 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 I didn't say Fearless Fund. I'm sorry, because I, I, I was just reading the complaint. And of course, Ed Bloom, shout out to Ed Bloom. I love these guys because they're going to force us to fight. We see, we're going to force us to recover our memory or we're going to die. Either way, let's just have it out. Okay, because when we're gone, you're going next. In fact, you might precede us. This is the problem. As Curtis Mayfield says, hell below, we all going to go. Um, or for that matter, Mother Opalia, Juneteenth at the White House. But the point is this. We supported each other because we had no choice. The class stratification that usually happens in a capitalist society was forestalled. Meaning what? When we were trapped together with no external support, we turned to each other. And when, when, and that means that there wasn't a black upper class or a black quote unquote elite to escape from the black masses. They required the black mass. So the black press, black restaurants, black hotels. You know, we're talking last night in the documentary, Max Rose documentary, they were saying, you know, when we traveled in the South or not even in the South, some places, we had to stay at these hood motels. Some of them were nice than others. Sonny Rollins cracked me up. Sonny Rollins said, yeah, we had to stay at these hotels in, in the neighborhood. Some of them were ratty. Sonny Rollins said, I don't like ratty hotels. <laughs> Sonny Rollins is like the coolest man. <laughs> He's retired now. He doesn't play anymore. I thank God that one of the great plays in my life is I got to see Sonny Rollins later in before he retired and even to speak to him one time roland martin had him on his show and he's a tv one man sonny rollins is the man sonny rollins i don't like ratty hotel but he had no choice <laughs> you see now what would we do we would try to develop a, a hospitality program at a hbcu in partnership with marriott to get more diversity in the hotel chain 
There's nothing wrong with that because the young people who are going in that want ultimately start their whole own hotel chain. But guess what? You can't catch Conrad Hilton, chief. So here's what happens, I think, with the, when we deal with the Freedom Fund. I mean, the Fearless Fund, rather. This is a challenge. We have a solution, but it's not a satisfying solution because it doesn't rescale immediately. So let me, let me be very specific about what we're talking about here. The Fearless Fund has partnerships with several big banks, as we know, who are providing some of that finance capital. Now, that relationship allows them to do more for more people, and they solicit applications. What Ed Bloom and his, you know, billionaire who we can't catch because in this money game, we can't catch. Why? Because you made your billions off our stolen labor. In order for us to catch you, we would have to have a wealth transfer of epic proportions. What like Catherine Frankie is talking about in her book, Repair. You'd have to have a wealth tax on all of y'all. And you ain't going to do that. In fact, you have bought a Congress to make sure you don't do that. Shout out to Matt Getz and all the rest of them who are destroying the federal legislature as we speak. But the point is that, you know, they're there on a mission. They've been bought and paid for. So we can't catch you on policy alone. We're going to have to fight. We're going to have, to have more black representatives, more brown representatives, more progressive representatives. And we don't we don't surrender any battlefield, but we got to coordinate from our independent base to see how these things work together. Reverend Herbert Daughtry, who I mentioned in a minute, 92 years young, uh, spoke at the New York African Burial Ground ritual on uh, Wednesday. We were all there. A lot of Nubians were there. Shout out Baba Sweets, who brought me a uh, Clemson Brown Jr.'s uh, program. Uh, you probably hear right now, Baba. Um, but Reverend Daughtry said, you know, different people in different places play different roles. He's talking about the history of the New York African Burial Ground. He and Ayo Harrington, a beautiful sister, powerful uh, leader in African communities who helped found the Friends of the New York African Burial Ground. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But so if you're a congressperson like Gus Savage was from Chicago, who called the General Services Administration to account and made them stop the construction on what became the New York African Burial Grounds grounds. If you are uh, 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 Patterson, the governor of New York at the time, or David Dinkins, who was the uh, mayor of New York as this thing got underway, you are in a position to play a certain role. You can't be on the rah-rah side like this, but you, when we show up, you got to move this over here with this political appointment or this policy shift, this kind of thing. The, Reverend Daughtry said everybody plays different roles, but to coordinate that, you've got to have an independent base. Now, when it comes to the Fearless Fund, these sisters are trying to achieve something quickly to scale, and it's very important. But here's the problem. They are faced with a social structure that never declared a truce. And if we have the momentum of memory, we understand that the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which predates the 14th Amendment, passed two years later, ratified two years later, said that you cannot use race to discriminate against anyone in their ability to, among other things, make and enforce contracts. Okay. It's very important to understand this. This is where billionaire Bloom and his flying monkeys, lawyers, <laughs> are attempting to assault these sisters because they're saying that the Civil Rights Act of 1866 prevents racial discrimination in making and enforcing contracts. And when you give out this money to applicants, that's a contract. And you can't discriminate against people because you've entered a contract with them. These sisters, and they can't really share a lot of their legal strategy. Again, Roland had them on. I'm sure you're going to be talking to them. Have you talked to them yet, Prof? I'm... I talked to them before all of this. Of course um, you did, right. Yeah. Right. Because they've been talking. You've been, yeah, right. People been, right. Okay, thank you. 
they 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 told him the other night that you know he asked about what what y'all strategy. He said we can't really share our strategy. I know the strategy already, or at least part of it. Their lawyers are going to argue that they are not making contracts. They're making grants. When you make a grant, it's not a contract unless you have put some provisions on it. In other words, whether the courts are going to buy that or not, it's up to us to figure out. As Reverend Daughtry said, everybody got different roles to play. Meaning what? If you don't think elections matter, ask the people who have got to face a federal judge if it matters who the judge is. Of course it matters. Because what Bloom is doing by using the civil rights of 1866 in an obscene way. And you may remember another prominent person who used the civil rights of 1866 to say people were discriminated against him was uh, our brother Byron Allen. This is this is the legislation that's still good law. It doesn't supplant the 14th Amendment. It doesn't supplant the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VII and employment law. But he, he was using it to say that they wouldn't sell me these stations. And they went, okay, you can use for any number of reasons. What the courts have done is strip it of its momentum of memory. In the law, momentum of memory we call precedent. M momentum of memory we call legislative intent. In other words, why was this law passed? How was this law passed? So what they've done over the last 50 years in the wake of the civil rights movement is reinterpret those civil war amendments and make them what Derrick Bell would call colorblind, meaning you can't discriminate based on race. It was passed to protect black people. Uh, no, no, no. John Roberts, that dullard, uh, no. Uh, the way to prevent discrimination based on race is, is to prevent discrimination based on race. The hell? What the hell are you talking about? Ketanji Brown Jackson and Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. Did you read the legislative record in 1865 and 1866? That is not why this law was passed. Did you read the legislative history of the 14th Amendment? This is not why this law was passed. And, you know, um, Sharon Eiffel is out there. Uh, waging war to, to remind people of why the 14th Amendment was passed. But it doesn't matter if you've got the judges. And so what these sisters are going to face is a bench who through the serendipity of cutting off the, the momentum, of, not even serendipity, through that deliberate act of cutting out the momentum of memory of precedent and of original intent. They want to talk about original intent. It's all fun and games. We talk about George Washington and John. You write about the Federalist Papers and Thomas Paine. When you're talking about uh, Alexander Hamilton, you always want to talk about original intent. But when you come to the 1860s and start bringing up Charles Sumner and start talking about the original intent of the 14th Amendment, when you start bringing in the original intent of the Reconstruction Amendment, you don't want to talk about that. You want to skip over them and go back to your friend who you want to continue to make our masters. And then we turn around and start turning our mouths up talking about the founding fathers like some fools. And then and then swallow it down with a beautiful cultural uh, act of cultural immolation and amputation called Hamilton. Make it brown face minstrelsy. This is the foolishness of our people. But what they're going to use the courts is to say that, well, you know, you can't discriminate and it, it is a contract. Okay, you can't discriminate. You can't make, make and enforce contracts based on race. So therefore you can't get this money out. And they've already done the injunction. How do you fix it? Last week, the MacArthur Foundation announced the MacArthur Genius Grants. Did you see it, Pro? I did not. $100,000. I did to tune out. I don't know yeah, why. No question. MacArthur gave out grants. They give out grants every year of $800,000. You do with it what you want to with it. A number of people have won them over the years. Uh, some of the Black people include Tanasi Coates, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Ibram Kendi, uh, Fred Moten. I think Kerry James Marshall won one years ago. I mean, anyway, a lot of people say, anyway, this year they gave out, and I think it was seven black people, mostly women of African descent, if memory serves me correctly, um, won 
these awards. One of them, uh, my friend's sister, Imani Perry. You've heard me mention Imani's latest book, South to America. Here's the trick with the MacArthur Genius Grants. You can't apply. People anonymously, anonymously recommend you. And then MacArthur goes through a very secretive process. Those that ask don't know and those, um, those that tell don't know and those that know don't tell. Where they reach out to people and they ask them about the people who've been nominated after they've whittled the list down. Tell us about so-and-so. Tell us about so-and-so. Don't ask me how I know that. The point is this. Then, all of a sudden, somewhere around the first week of October, boom, they announce who wins these 800,000 no-strings-attached grants. Notice the distinction. Nobody can apply. Now, if the Karen Hunter Foundation starts giving out $800,000 grants to 20 or 30 people a year, no strings attached, you can't be nominated. Here come Ed Bloom. <laughs> Bruh! Shut the F up. Can't nobody apply for these? I'm giving out money. See, the problem we have is without a self-determining base, because see, the Fearless Fund looked like it's self-determination, but I'm seeing, was it Wells Fargo and Chase Manhattan? I'm seeing these... Yeah. Yes. My point is that I understand and I'm not saying they're going to lose in court. I'm hoping they will. If the lawyers are real lawyers and the judges were something other than racial ideologues, this is not going to be a problem. Although the temporary inconvenience of an injunction is a problem. But I'm saying all of that's taken out of play. If you've built up your base to the point you can give your own money to whoever the hell you want. See, Bloom is a billionaire because of stolen labor. And you can't catch them. You can't catch stolen labor money by going to the stolen labor money and asking for it back. This is the problem. This is why Ibram Kendi is getting murdered in the media. I know Ibram Kendi. He's a friend of mine. My point is, I ain't bad at Ibram Kendi, and I ain't happy about him either. I'm neutral on it. Because guess what? Greg Carr is not worried about that. Why? We got Nubia. We got narrative. Boom. The hell are you talking about? There's a voluntary association right here. Do you understand? And as we reach critical mass, you think they're not going to come for us? Of course they are. But here's the problem. The problem is there are two powers in the world. One is this modern world system, the capitalism, the military. But the, the second one is the first one, really, the people. And this is where self-determination is to be found. It's in the silences. It's in the silences. I mean, I think about when we were in office hours on Monday night. And we were having that conversation with Brother Brandon Starks. And he was talking about, you know, being good and busy out there in Maryland. They got an event today. He says, come out and see us, right? The people's market. You know, him and Brother Chris and them, they are faithful members of Narrative and Newbie. He comes in. We had talked to him uh, last year. He came back in. You know, you know, we got this farm to table thing. We're sourcing from black farmers. We're supplying black people. We're going into, we're supplying anybody who signs up for our subscription. They somewhere right now. Hey, what's up, y'all? What's up? What's up? What's up? Everybody who's working on that project. What's up, Brandon? What's up, Chris? You know, they are, you know, you want to eat better? And he said, now y'all can also order soaps and candles. These are, you know, black women-owned businesses that are providing, you know, that are making small batch of candles and soaps. Okay, what if a thousand people order that today? Now the sister got one of them, what they call in the wire, that evoked the wire. Uh, what, did, um, uh, what, did, what did Marlo say? That's one of them good problems. <laughs> you know, you push, you ain't pushing dope on the streets of Baltimore in the words of uh, um, um, <clears throat> Method Man before uh, Slim uh, blew his brains out 
you know, we selling dope and coke on the streets of Baltimore, in word. If you can't get that kind of money, bam, this is for Proposition Joe. This is what happens in a violent world when you have been recruited into a criminal enterprise and you bring your ways of knowing there's loyalty, there's betrayal, there's community, but you selling dope and coke on the streets of Baltimore. But if you are dealing with farm to table food and black people own businesses, including black owned, black women owned businesses, here come Wells Fargo. We want to invest. Okay, well, let's negotiate the terms because we don't want Ed Bloom to come in with you. Because last I checked, two things occurred. Number one, Ed Bloom got his money in your bank. So I don't even know who's friends and who's enemies. Number two, I don't know why you're investing except that you see where the trend is going and you're trying to get ahead of it. You Wells Fargo, right? Then you close out all them mortgages. No problem. And number three, which is really number one, we will make the determination whether it's in our interest to grow so quickly as to get beyond our capacity to control it. Because after all, as Janet Jackson once said, this is a story about control. And so the fearless fund is in a situation where we're trying to move the scale quickly and the momentum of memory will help us understand that we can recover some of the momentum of when we had completely self-determining spaces, albeit spaces that were created when we had no choice. And that's a painful moment for us to evoke because unfortunately this we that we're trying to build in our governance formation must come to grips with the fact that the we is not automatically natural. And I just want to say something about this very quickly in a footnote and return to where we are, because I know we're kind of going to wind up for the day. The, the we we want may have never existed in the world. There are cultural foundations that make for an easier we. Certainly, we look at the Nile Valley. It's one of the reasons we study Egypt. You know, you got a 4,000 mile long river and most of it is connected at key moments in ancient history. How do they connect all these various peoples into one thing? This is a question of language. It's a question of culture. It's not a question of military conquest. Normal and menace can't beat up everybody. There are some people who don't want to go along. So there are violences involved. And this is not to gloss that. But you build unity through cultural unity, how people are related to each other. The story of ancient Egypt isn't just a story of pyramids and tombs and, and temples. No, it's a conceptual story. This is a place that makes the United States of America look like a child's mistake. They built this together, stitched it together, and held it together for several thousand years, and then creating the foundation for just about everything we can think of that we have in the contemporary world in terms of the arts, the sciences, the way we think about things, the religions that we talk about, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all that. You see that, but these Africans figured that out. Now, the momentum of memory will help us figure out what we can learn from that to do it now. Class is a problem in our society. We talk about every time we talk about entrepreneurs, what is the what are the cultural implications behind that? I want to help my community. Yeah, you're gonna employ people. Yeah. And you know, I'm gonna buy two or three houses. How many houses do you need? Well, you know, I'm gonna okay. The idea comes in. So I, I want to close with this though, because um self-determination in the silences means that we have to look at the things that are not said. And sometimes in those places we can find the ways to stitch ourselves together. And what do we gain from those flashes? We gain sustenance. We gain inspiration. We gain community. The master narratives don't want any of that. When the master narrative is declared and reinforced, even when they let a few of us in, it takes us away from the idea that we can see each other beyond that master story you're telling. Indigenous Peoples Day emerges not as an original idea. It emerges because in the silences of Columbus Day live all the people who Columbus represents as being a, who were assaulted. 
And it upsets the narrative, the triumphalist narrative that would have us then say, we built the country too. There were black people with Columbus. <laughs> what are you doing? Why that master narrative has silent. Who's that peeking out over there? Oh, that's the Lakota. Who is that peeking out? Oh, that's the Iroquois. Oh my gosh, who is that? Oh, that's the Seminoles and the Creek and the Chickasaw and the, and the Cherokee. Okay, we got some problems. Yeah, we can work those problems out. Not a problem. But those are in the silences because the triumphalist narrative tells us something else. Now, Baraka talks about national self-determination. That's what those silences are. Can we convene in the seams of the social structure to evoke our governance formations out of which we have drawn our memory to use those moments of silence as a point of departure for recreating our self-determination, our ways of knowing, our cultural meaning-making, our movement in memory, our use of science and technology. That's the challenge. Now, there is, and maybe we'll talk about this next week. I want to talk about, the, 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 there was an announcement this week Harvard University, uh, Monty Perry and Jarvis Givens leading something called the Black Teacher Archive. It's a public archive. Y'all can look it up. It's great. It's got a lot of access to all these records of Black educator associations. Oh, I'm sorry. All those books I, I showed you all, they got them digitized now. They're online. I just want to mention that. But I'm not torn or ambivalent about it. It's a great tool. And I'm absolutely against it at the same time. All of the physical archives remain where they are, but they've digitized them. And Harvard now is the repository for the digital. Open source though, it's non-proprietary and that's great. I I'm for it. It's very useful. It's an effective tool. But here's my problem. My problem is in the fact that Harvard University, a criminal enterprise built on stolen labor, John Harvard's plantations, you know, is there not one black institution where this work could have been done? And I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about the Caribbean. I'm talking about Africa. I'm saying, is there not what? Their networks reinforce their intellectual empire. They're not, they said, we don't own this. Yeah, but if you turn it off, nobody got it. And all the stuff's still there, but it's scattered all over the place. Could we not locate that at Talladega? Because what it also reinforces is this is Harvard. And the aspiration is to be at Harvard. Harvard is a place at the New York African Burial Ground, finally. We were there thinking about my man, Chester Higgins, Bob Chester, who's there in uh, Brooklyn to this day, between Brooklyn and Alabama. I thought I had a picture, one of those beautiful pictures that he took in his many collections. Oh, man, I thought I brought it in here, but apparently I didn't. And you know, if I look for it long enough, I'll find it, but I don't want to do that right now. Um, anyway, the New York, oh, look at that. The New York African Burial Ground. This is early when they were doing the rituals, when they were taking people out. There's the Ankh, and you see one of the ancestors there as they're bringing in the reins of the ancestors. Chester Higgins, of course, took these photographs, and there's so many others. I don't want to talk too much more about them. But at the 20th anniversary, as I said, Io Harrington, Herbert Daughtry in there, Io was talking about the fact that you know, there are seven more burial grounds in the New York area and 27 more in 27 in the state that have been discovered of New York, just in New York. Our work is to move beyond celebrations, but to use these rituals to reinforce the ultimate objective, which is to build, reconnect our memory. It's very important to understand that. It's very important to understand that because our enemies, who are enemies of our common humanity, there's no speaker of the house because Matt Gates and them are afraid of a multiracial country and their owners are too. They're funders. We have to understand that the social structure pet industry that subsidizes things that are good, but also reinforce their hierarchy, their asymmetrical hierarchy, whether it be MacArthur Genius Grants, whether it be uh, Harvard Black Teacher pro Projects, all that stuff is it, important 
to understand that we can use those things, but we use them most effectively when we have our own independent self-determining base. And so maybe um, I'll catch up next week on what happened last Sunday um, at Howard um, when the Motion Picture Academy brought the plaque for Hattie McDaniel back. We talked about a little in the office hours. I think I'll say that for next week. Come on back, Rob. So wanna... I was just going to find it. So I was finding a video as you were talking. Oh, which one? And Patty McDaniel's getting her Oscar back. Which oh, was... yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, we had to talk about that. I mean, another, maybe we do it next week because okay. to me, that totem, mm. that's what it is. I mean, you know, I tell my students all the time, icons, shrines, totems, and rituals. And that's what I talked about a little bit on that night. You know, we had a, a, a panel, Jackie Stewart, who's the president of the Academy Museum, uh, Dr. Rhea Combs, good sister, who's down at the National Portrait Gallery, um, Kevin John Goff, who is the great grand nephew of Hattie McDaniel, uh, Eleanor Trailer, Dr. Eleanor Trailer, the legend, as we, we say at, at Howard University, um, Colin Long, Dr. Colin Long, who's a theater professor at Howard, and Dean Rashad, um, uh, Felicia Rashad. When they presented the award, one of the things I said was, you know, I never seen training day and I never will, at least not intentionally. Um, I watched 10 minutes of precious, you know, had, I got Sapphire's book. I don't need to see this in the movie. Um, I watched monsters ball. They killed Diddy in the first 30 seconds. And I realized this ain't even about Halle Berry. I said, you can't give Denzel Washington a statue for Malcolm X or Ruben Hurricane Carter, but you can give him one for playing a bad cop. Al Freeman should have won Best Supporting Actor for that movie, but he wasn't even nominated. He gave it to Jack Parlance and City Slickers. I said, this Oscar ain't about the Academy. The Oscar is a totem. It's connected to a shrine. The shrine is Hollywood. A totem is a portable shrine. That's what an Oscar, which looks like Pata, is taken from a shrine. And it's given out to reinforce the importance of that shrine. The ritual is the awards, the Academy Awards. And the icons, usually figures of uncritical praise, are the ones who you elevate. You elevate Denzel for this role. You elevate Halle Berry for this role. You elevate Monique for this role. But what you don't see with Hattie McDaniel is Hattie McDaniel, whose father was in the United States colored troops. Hattie McDaniel's father fought in the Battle of Nashville. I grew up looking at that funky ass uh, statue over there on the Battle of Nashville. Hattie McDaniel's father fought in that. He was sold from Virginia to Tennessee, him and his brothers. And then when he fought his way out of enslavement after the Civil War, he moves them to Kansas. That's where Hattie McDaniel was born. Then to Colorado, where they grew up. He, his, 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 his children, he and his wife's children, there were 13 of them, seven survived to adulthood. They were entertainers, comedians, and singers, and actresses. Hattie McDaniel was a brilliant singer and comedian, the vaudeville circle, all that. When she comes into Hollywood, that's all she had. She's born literally three years before Pleasant versus Ferguson and makes transition two years before Brown versus Board of Education. Her entire life is, is, is based in American apartheid formal apartheid. And so what I said was when you see her in these spaces with that look, with that sly remark, rewriting moments in the script, they wouldn't hire for uh, uh, for imitation of life. They hired Louise Beavers because they said Hattie McDaniels is too strong. Louise Beavers and Hattie McDaniels are friends. Also friends with Lena Horne and them, bringing them in. You can't put light skin, dark skin on them. They are together at the same time at her house. She had a big ass house. Got the furs, got the Packard. All y'all come to my house. She's doing this work, but at the same time, she's not overtly a race woman like that. Except that night she accepted the award. She said, I want to be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. I said, she did not say to the motion picture industry and to the race. She knows y'all ain't going to let Oscar Micheaux nowhere near Hollywood to make no money. 
she knows you ain't gonna bring Paul Robeson in, even though she was in a film with Paul Robeson. You're not gonna bring Robeson in. You gonna bring her in, and when she comes in, she comes in subversive. And you know what this little statue is that y'all replacing today? This little statue is a prayer. Mm. That's what it is. She said, "After my death, you get this to Howard. Why? Because it's gonna be a day when they ain't gotta do this shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I want them to look at this." and be inspired to keep on because i did what i had to do because i had no choice there's going to be a day now it's then our job to run back to hollywood guess what holly guess what and that's why i end. guess what hollywood one of the reasons i think you replaced this and i told him that you know backstage we were talking i said one of the reasons i think y'all gonna replace this is guess what hollywood mm-hmm. bollywood nollywood guess what self-determination I mean, you ain't gonna be relevant no more. Y'all better stop chasing these white people. It's over for them. Make so, your friends. Anyway, I'm stopping. <laughs> you know, so next week we look at because you know it's award season, and um, it is award season. We so you got BET, VMAs, all you know, NAACP. You know, we have awards. Why do we have awards? Awards is where uh, you make your money, right? Yeah, that's his awards. Uh, so that's when all of these corporations now cut the check cut the check right so you wonder why all of these awards even byron allen had an award coming in with the griot that's how I you make your money that. that's how you make your money right so but we're following this totem thing I, let, let's explore it because you got me now thinking about you know the awards we like it we like to see all of the people out in hip-hop 50 and all of the yes and all the people that aren't there watch, i can't watch them no more I no try to watch them i have to no, watch but it, it, it's it's we're modeling yes something that isn't it's not the it's not who we are it's not so, who we are. so let's let's talk about that and i want to end with a quote from roy roy said um yeah you know, he's actually quoting doug herzog he said you don't own these jobs you rent them they're not yours ultimately no matter how long you are there you're just passing through and so he you know he put that on his uh resignation letter that he mm. he, um, he he gave for every, everyone to read um, and this is, you know, kind of to me, the rallying cry for all of us. Yes. We're, we're talking about UAW, UPS, uh, Kaiser Permanente, yes. you know, these and you, and you see, and you see UPS, I mean, uh, UAW has won some concessions now. They starting yes. to back up. They got to sag after, you know, yes. the reality is these companies and this industry only works because we decide to be a part of it and we make it do what it do, whether it's Ford, GM, that CEO can't put a widget on or program a computer in the car, put a tire on you, but you make a $10 million and you don't want to make concessions. You make a 29 million, 27 million of it in bonuses because you lay off people and you you're austere. So you're a good steward. So we're going to give you more money to keep more people in labor and in bondage. No, 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 no. It's a new day. It's a new, it's a new day. day. And I think people are waking up finally. Um, and, and that requires us to, to show up for each other. Just as strongly as we show up for them. That's right. If not more so. So that's the lesson. That's the lesson. Yes. I, I appreciate uh I appreciate this. And and just in being in this space, you know, I just uh passed nine years on Sirius XM, which is a space that I built intentionally to provide more platforms for other people, right? It was I never mean, never came in thinking I'm gonna have a radio show and I'm gonna be a superstar <laughs> because I didn't need it, right? No, I didn't need it. I didn't come into it to do radio to get rich because I actually didn't make any money for mm. six months because I'm not on salary there. But I knew that this platform with 40 million subscribers would give us an opportunity to have a voice. And if I could put plant more seeds to have more reach, to bring in more people. And this led us to Nubian narrative, which couldn't have happened without that. So I'm just 
grateful to everybody who um, has a SiriusXM uh, subscription and that decide to come in and on the app like the Karen Hunter Show because that mattered. Yes. To to put the little like button on the on on the app. Yes. For, for Urban View because they see that they see that um, that called up to demand that I had a show. They that matters. Oh, Just that, like, exactly. Yeah. So, so so we have to be intentional about the things that we we uh, say we like. Yes. You know. It's nice to listen to the, you know, the debaucherous rap and watch all of the crazy shows that we watch. Sure. But we're also telling the world who we are by doing that. So we have to be equally as intentional. Even if you're not watching these things, just put the like button even in this video. Just, just hit right. the like button. Yeah. It don't, yeah. don't cost you anything. Cost you Let's anything. Go. That's so, exactly right. Um, and the algorithm, that's exactly right. <laughs> Ironically, an Arabic word <laughs> that they learned right. when the Moors were in Spain. Anytime you see Al in front of it, Al, Al, algorithm. Uh, algebra, I mean, a lot, of that, a lot of that is imported into Western Eurasia, Spain, and Portugal with the Moors. I mean, so I mean, before that, they had they didn't have a base 10, they had the Roman numeral system, they brought that stuff in. So, I mean, yeah, it impact the algorithm, you created it anyway. <laughs> so, why not? Right, hit the like button and, and, and support. And you, you've given us the word, you we're able to do what we've been able to do these three years and counting. I met even in New York, where's the beer ground, several people. We stood sitting there and there standing around afterwards and before, and they saying, one brother said, I haven't missed one week. I'm with y'all every week. I'm here now. So shout out, bro. I mean, I'm like, well, um, the Haitian Studies Association had their meeting in Atlanta uh, this weekend. I couldn't get down there, but they sent me pictures, the Nubians down there. They were in Princeton at the Toni Morrison exhibit. I mean, so in other words, I mean, but none of this happens if you hadn't said, okay, we're going to establish a self-determining base. And then you had to step out on it to do it. So I'm glad you're quoting Roy Wood Jr. because I'm quoting yeah. Karen Hunter. At this no, I mean, but, you know but, but we don't know. I mean, it's not even like, you know, I thought that this could happen. You know, you don't know until you do it, which mm -hmm. is the thing. We got to always do it. We can't be afraid. Well, no one's going to show up. Or no, you can't worry about that. Can't you got to do it with intention and 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 wait and just keep planting. I mean, three years ago, there was nothing called Nubia. We didn't even know no. that word with a K in front of it. Of course, That's there was right. a whole nation. And now there are people that proudly wear wear the gear and they're out there. And you know when you see somebody with a Nubian shirt on. No question. The, Nubia you know, the Henry Clark. You know, you, no know, you know, you know what it is, right? You know what and, it is. <laughs> and you know you're part of a community that is is not selfish. That is is about growing some things, and it feels really good. And I feel safe, you know, when you go when you travel, y'all three damn near two hundred fifty people in Kemet together. No question, no problem. No, 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 no problem. And at no all. problem. No and problem. no problem. No. Imagine that. No. Imagine that they can't have concerts without problems. You know, we, we could travel abroad and not just not have problems, but come back with memories that will last last a lifetime. I'm so incredibly happy to be here so i wanted to say thank you thank you everyone uh, thank you and thank everybody i mean i'm seeing in both chats i mean the youtube chat is fly the the the, the newbie chat is always fly thousands of people here thank you all oh okay ronald my partner jaquille constant curator of the haitian film festival was at that conference you know anyway we can't even but we're going to try imagine the connections that are made day after day so Get some rest, happy indigenous people. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> contemplative, right? Because, yes, yeah, yes. and 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 the people's professor. Um, oh, I, I like that. No, 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 this we, we have the to kids Howard figured it. I'm like, yeah, y'all know I teach my classes here, but I'm my see, this enables me to even go into that periphery and do that work, right? That's because right. this is the center, that's the periphery, and these schools, 
you know, they're great. We're in those places, but this is where we do this work. So shout out to all. Yeah, next week, maybe I'll talk about that too, even the impact this is having in those places, like where you work and I work and uh, other places we work. But this is the work work. So thank you. This is, uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, same. Love you. It's a, it, it never happens alone. Like we can no, only no. do this together. Happen. We That's can right. only do this together. That's right. Uh, I love you. Love you. I love everybody. All right. See y'all in the Nubian streets tomorrow and Monday office hours and Monday. Karen had to show us. Too.